So how many of you brought your Bibles today? Let me see your hands. Good, because we're going to turn a lot of pages today. We're going to start in Proverbs 8. We're probably going to finish the month of uh, August in Proverbs. And then when you get into chapter 10, there's not a lot of sequence of wisdom, and it's pretty episodic. So we're probably going to... uh, Going to the book of Ephesians, we're going to cover that. I did that when I came here 32 years ago. I doubt many people remember that. I don't. So uh, we're going to slide there. I want you to look at Proverbs 8:12. Now this is where we're going to start. A lot of people really hate the word doctrine. We hate that. Want to hear? I don't want to hear doctrine about prayer. I want to know how to pray. I don't want to hear doctrine about witnessing. I want to know how to witness. I want to know the how to. I don't care anything about the doctrine behind it. When in fact you're not going to do it right if you don't have the doctrine. And the doctrine is simply the Bible's teaching about God and you and how the you relate together, who He is, who you are, and how that fits. <clears throat> now that's really all that doctrine is, and doctrine gives me the ability to live correctly. You're not going to live correctly if your doctrine's out of whack. Listen to Proverbs 8, 12. Listen to what he says. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So he gives you a couple of words. He says, I have wisdom and prudence. Wisdom is what I know about God and me and how that connects. And prudence is the prudent way to live as a result of what I know. I have knowledge I know about God and me and how that connects. And then I have discretion. I I have discretion in how I live based on that. So we have to understand doctrine to be able to live correctly. This is the whole point in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 1, you hear one word. It starts out with one word, three letters in the Greek, therefore. Chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians are basically doctrine. There's some practicality in there, but it's basically doctrine. When you get into chapter 4, it's basically how you live. But the reason he says, therefore, is because how you live is based on what he just told you about God. So we've got to understand doctrine. Now, I'm going to walk us through a couple things so that we understand that. So we're going to cover a lot of ground really fast. Get your fingers ready. Slide over to 1 John 5. Hang a right, a big right, if you're in Proverbs. 1 John chapter 5. Now, when we talk about prayer, here's what the Bible says says about prayer. Now listen to 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have toward him. Now listen, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we asked of him. Here's what he says. God's answer is always yes. His answer to your prayer is always yes if that prayer is based on his will, not your will. So the practicality of my prayer life is I don't go into my prayer room to tell him what I think he ought to do. I pray what he wants, not what I want. That's the agenda. And if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, then that makes perfect sense. At the end of Ephesians 6, 
when you have this long section on the armor of God, it makes this statement that says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Because here now, don't misunderstand me today. It's another sermon for this. You can pray to Jesus, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, but on the whole, the construct of the Trinity is this. I pray to God the Father through the access given to me through the blood of God the Son under the direction of God the Spirit in my heart. He directs my prayer. My prayer has access because of the blood of Jesus, and it goes to the Father. So if I understand the Trinity, I get that doctrine down, then my prayer life will make sense. I will pray to Him. I will know I can because Jesus' blood cleaned me up, and now I have the ability to step into His presence. Now the Holy Spirit indwells me. He will, as He did with Jesus. Remember Matthew 4, it says, The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That same Spirit indwelling me. God the Spirit will now lead me in how to pray His will. So now you understand why Jesus said, Find a closet. Talks about the fact that we would fast. <clears throat> Talks all through the Bible about meditation. You don't find a closet and fast and meditate so God can hear you. He can hear you regardless of the distraction. The problem is you can't hear him with the distractions. So you go into the closet. You fast. You meditate. So that you can hear what he wants you to pray. And when you pray what he wants correctly, <clears throat> he in turn gives an answer of yes, and he takes your prayer and alters things in the world. Remember in the Old Testament, when they had the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and they get slaughtered, and he calls down this fiery sacrifice. He makes this statement. He says, let it be known today, God, that I have done all this at your word. Everything he prayed is exactly what God told him to pray. He controlled the weather with his prayer life, not because he chose to, but because God told him what to pray. So if I understand the Trinity, then it makes great sense that I meditate and I fast and I get into my closet so that I can hear him in my prayer life, not so that he can hear me. I don't get to pray what I desire. I pray what he desires. He is Lord in my closet as he is Lord outside of the closet. So my prayer life, if I understand the doctrine of the Trinity, makes great sense. Same thing's true with witnessing. Need to share my faith? Go to Romans chapter 10. I want to show you a couple things. Go to Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 14. Now listen to what this says. We're going to fly through a couple things. We're going to go back to 1 John 2, 2, but listen to this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, hold that. Then listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to what it says. Now, there's doctrine. Here's the next part of doctrine. Listen to this. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So there's the second aspect of doctrine. Then go to John 16. 
I'm going to try this again in a second, but go to John 16. Listen to what he says. 16th chapter of John. So we've got Romans 2 and we've got 1 John 2 too. Now listen to John 16. He's <clears throat> talking about the Holy Spirit again. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, three statements of doctrine. There has to be someone who does the preaching. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> convicts about that preaching and the gospel and the blood of Jesus Christ is offered to everybody in the world. Now, when you go to work tomorrow, you take all those things with you. <clears throat> you take the understanding that God has placed people in your life so that you can tell them about what you're sitting here singing to and about. You equally understand that that gospel, there's not a person you work with that the blood of Jesus is not available to. And yet it is not your job to argue them into the kingdom. Your job is to share with them about the blood and allow the Holy Spirit to do his convicting so you don't have to answer every question. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to fix everything. When they look at you and say, I don't believe the Bible's true, it's not your problem. <clears throat> say, I don't believe in Jesus, it's not your problem. You're responsible for doing some preaching. You're responsible for selling the truth about the blood of Jesus. And you let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. I have to share because of Romans 10. <clears throat> I know what to share because of 1 John 2, 2, and that it's available to everybody. And I know it's not my responsibility to make people leave. That's up to the Holy Spirit. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to figure everything out. So when I understand doctrine, it affects my witnessing. <clears throat> I'm not trying to inflict guilt here, talking to myself as much as anybody else. <clears throat> We're terrified to witness. <clears throat> and a lot of it because we think we'll fail. We'll say the wrong thing, we'll think the wrong thing. That is not your problem. You are responsible for it. You share the blood of Jesus. It's a real simple thing. They're bad, Jesus is not. There it is. <clears throat> but because Jesus is not, he can take the bad and make them good because the good became bad on the cross. And now he's come out of the grave, which proves that when the good became bad, the bad can become good. It's a real simple thing. I understand the gospel. I'm responsible for sharing it, but I'm not responsible for whether or not anybody believes. The doctrine alters me in my prayer life, it alters me when I share Christ with the people I work with. And then his doctrine alters me when I have to react. Now I have to act on my prayer life. I have to act on my sharing of Christ. But then we're going to have things happen that I have to react to that sometimes are incredibly painful. You get the call. You've got a seven-year-old child. He's going to have to have a major surgery. You're risky. You're scared. Those kind of moments. What do you? What's the doctrine 
that handles that for me. I want you to go to two places with me. Go to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> I want you to listen. Listen to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now listen. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So when I face this moment, they tell me my seven-year-old child's got to have surgery that is excruciating and dangerous and hard. One thing I know, based on this, is that when I'm too scared to pray, and I'm going to tell you something, there are going to be moments that are so hard, they knock the spiritual wind out of you, and you really can't pray. When I get to that place where that wind's knocked out of me, the Holy Spirit in me <coughs> steps in my place, he prays for me. Doesn't take away the problem. But will allow the problem to somehow down here somewhere be a benefit in my life. <clears throat> or be a benefit in someone else's life. Something good will come out of my seven-year-old surgery at some point, because even though the wind's knocked out of me and I'm weeping in the hospital, his spirit intercedes for me and his spirit allows something good, beneficial to come out as a result of the spirit's prayer in my life. <clears throat> and then I want you to go to Psalm 56. This is one of my top five I think most powerful verses in the entire word of God. Let's Psalm 56, 8. Now listen to this. This is when the Philistines have David in Gath. They have seized him. Verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle... Are they not in your book? You go to Israel, anywhere in the Middle East, you can actually find. Archaeologically, we found tear bottles. Now, why does God keep a tear bottle on you? Now, there are only two possible reasons. He's sadistic, <clears throat> loves watching you hurt. That is a possibility. But from what we know of the Scripture, that's not true. So why does he do that? Why does every time... So you've got this little seven-year-old guy. You can't even pray. You're... I'm going to tell you, until you've had a kid in surgery, and they come and get him, and they cart him off, and you watch those doors close. We've had that four times. And I'm going to tell you, buddy, the tears hit. And you really can't pray. You're just dumbfounded. So there are two things that the Bible says about that moment. 
when I can't pray, the Holy Spirit in me prays somewhere out here something good. And then it says that God catches that tear in his bottle, puts a top on it, and holds it. Why? So that when the day comes that I die, he takes all those tears, he opens them up, and he rewards me for every tear I shed in a world I broke that he will fix. So when the Bible says in James chapter 1 how to on a practical level handle trials it says count it all joy how in the world do you have a seven year old little guy being carted off door shut and you're sitting there desperate how in the world do you consider that joy because somewhere after the shutting of those doors my God because of the Holy Spirit praying in me when I can't will do something good and when I die he will not forget what I went through and he will reward me for my stance in that pain. Proverbs is right. When you come to the scripture, now, I have doctrine that changes my prayer life. I have doctrine that alters my witnessing. I have doctrine that handles my ability to face the worst things I face in this world. Doctrine. And here's the deal. Look at Jeremiah 10.23. Jeremiah chapter 10. Look at verse 23. <clears throat> now listen. <clears throat> Here's what he says. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And here's what it says. I've got to have doctrine to pray correctly. I've got to have doctrine to share my faith. I've got to have doctrine to face my seven-year-old going into the surgery and the door shut. But here's the problem. I don't have it. I don't possess it. There's not a person in this room that possesses it. There's not a person anywhere in the world that possesses it. We don't have the ability. It is something God gives us from outside that he places in us. Proverbs 8.1, what was the very first verse? Does not wisdom raise her voice in the streets? God wants you to have it. It's in here. So I'm not trying to flick guilt today. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I want to help you. It's in here. Now listen to me. It would behoove us if it is in here and I don't have it and I needed to pray and I needed to witness and I needed to face what I face. Now listen. I've got to change the direction of my finger. <clears throat> you can do this. There's no wisdom here. But if you do this, 
there's wisdom here. If you scroll vertically all day long, there is no wisdom there. But if I turn the pages here, there's every bit of wisdom I need. So maybe it is time. Lay the phone down, put the iPad down, open this up, get in the closet, fast meditate, because I need to hear what he has to say to me here. And here's what's killing me. The evangelical church today is losing this. I want to read you. You stay where you are. I want to read you two verses real quickly. Listen to this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. There's 1 Timothy 1. Now, listen to Romans. Stay where you are, but listen to Romans 5, 1. Here's what it says. Listen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you have two statements of doctrine about Jesus. He came into the world to save us. And that salvation is a restoration of people who have no right to a relationship with the Creator. That's what salvation is. And I am stunned. that we're not getting that anymore. There's an evangelical church, a flagship evangelical church in Texas <clears throat> that a couple of weeks ago, in Sunday morning, had a patriotic service, and they wrote a song. Now, I don't want any reaction to what this part of what I'm about to go into. I don't want any reaction at all. I just want you to listen to me carefully and think through what I'm saying. The title of the song is Make America Great Again. The song was licensed and sung, and there isn't a single even mention of God in the song. It's all about Make America Great Again, sung on Sunday morning at the 11 o'clock worship hour, the hour when we should be focused on that cross and that book. Here's my struggle. There are people in America <clears throat> that are offended by the phrase, make America great again. And they see it as a bigoted statement. You say, well, that's not what it is. I don't care what you think. I care what they think. Why do I care what they think? Because First Timothy says Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I don't want to be the one that keeps them from coming to Christ because I don't get it. It's my struggle with the... NFL anthem. I don't care if young men protest what they see as racial injustice. I get that. But it bothers me when you do it during the flag and during the anthem because that reflects the military and reflects everything I like. Now, here's my deal, though, okay? 
So I struggle with what they're doing like they struggle with Make America Great Again. If people that do not know Jesus are turned off by the truth, that's fine. But if they're turned off by me, I need to repent before a holy God. And secondly, the gospel design is not to make America great. It is to bring people back to a great God. And when patriotism is higher than your loyalty to Jesus, you have overstepped your bounds and you have stepped in idolatry. And it is embarrassing to me that a flagship church has stepped into that realm. Let me be clear. At this church, I love America. I do. I love living here. I love the freedom. I love all the things I get to do because of it. I love the fact that we can meet anytime nobody busts in those doors and arrests us. I love being an American. But not nearly as much as I love my Savior. And we must never equate the two. Father, book is so clear we need your wisdom we need your discretion we need your knowledge we need your prudence we don't have it in us father make us people that pray well witness well and face what we face well because of what you've told us in this book father i pray for me and all those days when i get caught up scrolling through facebook Remind me, I need to be scrolling through your book. Clear that up for me. And thank you for making available to us everything we need to know. In Jesus Christ's name.